0: Great, good morning, please do keep that passage open, that would be fantastic, Luke uh, chapter 1, page 1027. Shall we pray as we look at this passage together? Lord God, we do praise you for uh, your word, and Lord, we praise you for this great song uh, of praise of Zechariah. Please would you help us by your spirit uh, to understand it more deeply, uh, that we may follow Jesus more closely, we pray in his name. Amen. Seems to be a universal truth, doesn't it, that all newborn babies are beautiful. You kind of know the scene, don't you? A friend's had a new baby, you go round to visit, and as you peer over the edge of the Moses basket, you say, oh, isn't isn't she beautiful? Isn't he beautiful? Uh, Maybe it's just me, but I tend to think that most newborn babies are quite unattractive. Uh, actually. It was Winston Churchill who once said this, he said, all babies look like me. Um, which is true, isn't it? The heads of newborn babies have often squashed into a funny shape from exit, um, or they don't have any hair, or if they do have hair, it's kind of full of gunk um, from, from what's happened. But yeah, w- yeah, when you have your own baby, it is unquestionably, irrefutably, it's unassailably the most beautiful baby In the whole world, no other baby comes close. You've got eyes as a new parent for none other than your own child. That is kind of standard operating procedure, isn't it? Which makes this part of Luke's gospel really surprising because Zechariah has been a dad for just over a week. He's still on his two week paternity leave. Uh, And he's not been able to speak for around nine months because he didn't believe God's promise that he would have a son, yet when he opens his mouth for the first time in nine months, imagine the trembling, the kind of built-up things he'd wanted to say, the excitement at a new son. What does he do when he opens his mouth? There's no gushing about his own child, no comment about the eyes of the mother, the nose of the father. Instead, he starts talking about someone else's baby. Odd. Psychologists would love it. Have a field day. This is not, do you notice, not because Zechariah doesn't value his own child. We know that, don't we, from verse 76. Verse 76, and you, my child, his own son John, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. That is an astonishing thing to say, isn't it? About your own child. His son will be a prophet of God. His son will be no less than the one who fulfills the great promise of Isaiah, a voice calling in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. Zechariah identifies his own son with that prophecy. That is a big deal. And yet, what is Zechariah quick to do? He recognizes the great superiority of another baby, Jesus All babies, they look the same. But when you put the adult lives of John the Baptist and Jesus next to each other, it becomes clear what Zechariah is talking about. He's got great insight at this early stage about what is coming with the birth of Jesus. The night before Jesus had been born had been a really long, dark night. It had been 400 years since the prophecy uh, of Malachi. That's 400 years since God had spoken. 400 years of darkness for Israel. Yet the faithful, what are they doing? They are looking for a sunrise. They're looking uh, for light. Because they would have believed the words of Malachi, chapter 4, the last chapter of the Old Testament. They would have believed these words. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. And we've seen over the past few weeks all these shafts of light just appearing in, in Luke's uh, gospel. People would have been right on the edge Of their seats with anticipation. The angel Gabriel comes to the temple, confronts Zechariah, promises him a son that will prepare the way, a flash of light. Gabriel returns, comes to Mary, announces the birth of Christ, the Son of God, more light. Mary visits Elizabeth, both of them pregnant with Jesus and John, and Elizabeth breaks out in prophecy, more light. Mary's filled with the Holy Spirit, sings praise to God, glorifies the Lord, yet more light. And here we've got John the Baptist is born. A glow, you might say, is just starting uh, to form. Just starting to form way out uh, on the eastern horizon. Uh, and with the birth of John the Baptist, we've just got this great song before that sunrise. This is the final prophecy uh, before the sunrise, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Zechariah praises God about this baby to come. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. Well, what do we learn from this, this great, this ordered, this passionate, this ecstatic, you could say, song of praise? I think two things. First we learn that a royal king has come. A royal king has come. Why is Zechariah praising God? Look at verse 69. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. In other words, this baby has come with the power to save men and women. You might remember at the height Of King David's rule, a promise had been given to David, recorded in 2 Samuel, that he would have an ultimate son, a son who would succeed into the throne, a descendant flesh and blood king whose throne and kingdom would be established forever, forever. Here Zechariah ties that promise to this baby. We've got this picture, haven't we, of this horn, perhaps the horn of a powerful animal, a kind of a stag or an ox or a buffalo. It's a picture of awesome, formidable strength and power. This horn of salvation will be raised up, waved around if you like, in a mighty display of power in the birth of Jesus. There for all to see, all to contend with, in majestic power, he will rescue people with his blood. And he will disperse his enemies. Perhaps this all seems to you a little bit far-fetched. Surely the Jewish people, just oppressed by Roman occupation, weren't they just desperate? Wouldn't you be just desperate? Don't people always look for a hope to cling to, a straw to kind of clutch, a kind of ancient myth to believe in? That's what makes life bearable the everyday grind possible, what makes this any different from any of the crazed ideas, the crazed cults in human history? This is very different because Zechariah knows the origins of this baby. He knows the baby's backstory. This is no bolt from the blue. Did you did notice the three things that Zechariah picks up on ...on this baby's backstory. Do you see that? This baby, this king, he's the result of an ancient prediction, verse seventy. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago. That great promise to David, what did it do? It fired the hopes of a kind of messianic figure to come... ...who would establish a throne forever... And the prophets foretold that, so we have, don't we, that very famous prophecy, Isaiah chapter 9, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice." and righteousness from this time on and forever. An ancient prediction. Second, you notice this baby, this king, he's the result of an ancient covenant or an ancient promise at verse 72 to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. This promise to David, it's rooted, isn't it, in the promise God gave to Abraham. God promised Abraham, Genesis 12, that he would have a son and the whole world would be blessed through him. It was a promise repeated in Genesis 15. God takes Abraham outside to look at the sky, look at the stars. This is how numerous your descendants will be through that son. An ancient covenant. Thirdly, do you notice, finally, it's the result of an ancient oath. Ancient oath, verse 72. The oath he swore to our father, Abraham. This is Zechariah referring back to that oath that God swore to Abraham on Moriah when Abraham had taken his son at God's command to sacrifice him. But God stopped it. And God was so pleased with Abraham. He did something, you know, that he'd never done before. He swore by himself. God swore by himself that he would keep his promise. That through his offspring, all nations on earth would be blessed. What do we have? An ancient prediction. An ancient covenant. An ancient oath. This is is a backstory that points to a historical king a king who is central to God's promises and purposes for the universe the stakes are really high here aren't they people's expectations are going to go through the roof as they hear this song and it is hard to believe what Zechariah is saying the only evidence what is the evidence it is a bump on a pregnant girl that is all we've got here and it seemed as though this girl, this, this, this boy, was going to be illegitimate. We've got a teenage pregnancy in fulfilment of an ancient promise. You couldn't make this stuff up, could you? But looking back for us, doesn't it make sense? You know, sometimes you have, don't you, a picture in a film that is sort of out of focus, it's zoomed in, it's incomplete, narrow, perhaps... Uh, in what it picks up. But, but then gradually, as the kind of lens sort of pans back out, what happens? You begin, don't you, to see more of the detail. Uh, the image kind of begins to sharpen. It becomes clear. Things come into full view. That is what it's like, isn't it, with, with Jesus, with this baby. Many things remain out of focus during his life. But as his life unfolds, as his death and resurrection happen, everything can be seen in perfect clarity. The image, it becomes complete, becomes crisp, becomes crystal clear. This is a king who fulfills an ancient promise. And inspired by the Holy Spirit, Zechariah knew this, knew it, just as the baby is bundled up In Mary's womb. We are so privileged, aren't we, that we can look back from the other side of the cross and know the truth of this prediction. Yes, this baby was a human born of flesh and blood in a natural way. Yet he was so much more, so much more than his ancestors could ever have dreamt of. Because he's also a divine king. And for those who meet him, those who are healed, who are restored, who are raised, who are humbled, who hear his words, experience his welcome, know his forgiveness, trust in his death and resurrection. It is impossible, impossible to avoid the suggestion, he is God. This is God's king. Have you met This king. The royal king has come. It begs the question, doesn't it, why? Why has this king come? Well, secondly, the royal king has come to rescue. He's come to rescue. Why has the baby come, verse 74? To rescue us from the hands of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him. All our days. Do you see how the the language of rescue just runs through this passage? Just like words through a stick of rock. God has redeemed his people. Verse 68. It's a horn of salvation. Verse 69. Salvation from our enemies. Verse 71. To rescue us from the hands of our enemies. 74. Knowledge of salvation. Verse 77. To guide our feet, the clincher. To guide our feet into the path of peace. Verse 79. Used to be the case, didn't it, in generations gone by, that um, son followed father. You followed in your father's footsteps. So, father is a doctor. Son is a doctor. Father is a clown. Son is a clown. Uh, And so it goes on. That's not the case anymore, is it? Probably a, a good thing. But you can't say that can you, for Jesus? Because Jesus was God himself uh, come to earth. God's king in David's line. His father was God on a mission. Jesus is here on a mission. A rescue mission uh, is, is his purpose. And what is the precedent? Or uh, what is the template for this great mission? It is the greatest event uh, in Israel's history bar none it's the event that kind of grandfather would have relayed to grandson on the knee, generation after generation, the exodus of the Israelites uh, from Egypt. And we've got echoes, haven't we, of, of that rescue uh, in these, these verses. You probably know the story. At the time of the exodus, God's people were enslaved by Pharaoh, working on the great monuments of Egypt. We'd jet off on holiday to see uh, now but God heard their cries. He rescued them from slavery into a new world of freedom. Not freedom to do whatever you like, but freedom to live for God or to enable them to serve him without fear. This baby has come to enable people to serve their creator. I suppose an obvious question does hang in the air, doesn't it? Which is... This, the Romans remained in occupation for years after Jesus had ascended. Early Christians were oppressed. Many of Jesus' own disciples were oppressed, killed for their faith. Did they really serve God without fear? Jesus died on the cross. Many thought he'd failed. A good teacher, revolutionary man, anti establishment, but in the end, well, a bit, you know, no more than that. Many Christians today, we look around the world, don't we? People face persecution. They face big and small things to confront. If Jesus came to enable people to serve God without fear, then why is this still going on? It's all about defining, isn't it, who your enemy is? Who is your enemy? Zechariah gets some of it, doesn't he, in this song. He knows that the point of God's rescue is to enable people to live for God. So anything that prevents people, humanity, from worshipping their creator is an enemy of God. And And the problem we face is that that includes the darkness of our own hearts. We are our own worst enemies, you could say. We want to live for ourselves and not for God. So to have us back, God has got to deal with our hearts. And to deal with our hearts, he must deal with our guilt. And to deal with our guilt means to bring forgiveness and restoration. That is why Jesus was born. The rescue is not political. It is spiritual. So how does this king rescue us? by showing us the path of peace. This this baby brings peace into God's world. Just look at verse 76. For you, this is John, will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Zechariah gets it. He knows this baby has come to rescue us from the thing that brings darkness, from our sin that makes us enemies of God, from that that desire we all have in our hearts to live for ourselves, and not for God. To say, oh, I want to wear the crown. I'm going to take it off your heads, God. And the way that Jesus will do that is to die. Christmas and Easter, they're two sides of the same coin. Do you spot the key verse, though? Verse, look at the key word in verse 72, 78. It's mercy. This is the tender mercy of God. Mercy is only necessary, isn't it, if you're wrong. You don't need mercy if you're right, as my wife Nikki will tell you. God's people have got it wrong time uh, and again. Moses knew it. Isaiah knew it. Zechariah uh, knew it. They needed mercy. We get stuff wrong time and again. We live for ourselves and not for God. We need mercy. Mercy is what God Gives. It's what God specialises in. It's what Jesus is about. Without mercy, the path of peace uh, isn't possible. We, re- we remain sitting in the dark, in the shadow of death. Death is the ultimate equalising statistic, isn't it? Every one in one person dies. I've failed my driving test twice. Uh, once for speeding. And I don't remember very much at all from driving lessons. But there's one thing you learn uh, when you're driving, and it's this. When at a junction, don't enter the yellow-hatched box until the exit is clear. It's quite a good mantra you'd say for death, isn't it? One day we're all going to die and end up in a box. You could say, don't enter the box until your exit is clear. In Jesus, God gives us a clear exit into his presence. He'll guide our feet into the path of peace. Perhaps that's something you've not yet got to grips with. Richard mentioned earlier this book, which is great. I've read it for the first time this year. It's brilliant. Have a read of this book. Pick up a copy Many people are sceptical, but have never even read a gospel, Luke's gospel. Why not pick up a gospel? Or your heart's grown cold. Pick up a book gospel, read it. Read about the light of the world. See where the path of peace begins. What is Christmas about? Christmas is about the birth of God's royal king. He will bring the saving hope of the whole world by showing us the path of peace Again, perhaps we wonder, well, has this come true? Is this real? It doesn't feel that real sometimes. The world is scarred by injustice and turmoil. In the Middle East, you've got a debate, long-running, comes to fruition again about Jerusalem. Conflict and division and turmoil and hatred still run deep. Why? Why? The light of the world has come. Why is that happening? Surely it's because of this, because there are too many people in our world who have not tasted God's merciful light and the path of forgiveness for themselves. The peace we all need is peace with God. Without that peace on earth, it will always be beyond our grasp. What does this great song say to those of us uh, who rejoice this Christmas, those of us who are in awe at the God who became man, who do adore the king, uh, as the carol goes, hail the incarnate deity. Surely it's this. We have no excuse, do we, but to walk the path of peace. Surely one of the most damaging arguments against the claims of Christ, is the inability of believers, of those who follow Jesus, to live at peace with one another, to live at peace with people around them. Do our hearts, do our lives display the humility, the generosity, the big-heartedness, the mercy we've received from God? Are we humble are we quick to forgive, loving, generous, willing to go that extra extra mile? If we don't understand the birth, we're never going to understand where it's pointing, which is the cross. We've got no excuse. Jesus has shown us by His divine light, the path of peace. Will we walk it? you see the prophecy? Of Malachi is fulfilled. The sun is rising with healing in its wings. Over in the east, the sky is changing color. Dawn. Dawn is breaking in. The path to peace is being illuminated. The shadow of death is just fading away. The light of the world is here. The morning star, as Peter describes Jesus, has risen. That is a reason to praise God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord God, we do thank you for uh, just the wonderful uh, songs of praise, declarations of praise there are in, in Luke's Gospel, Chapter 1, that we've been looking at over these past few weeks. Lord, we praise you for Zechariah's song, this passionate Song of praise to you uh, for what you have done in redeeming your people, in redeeming those who trust in Jesus. Lord God, please this Christmas would you help us to understand that more deeply where it's become dull. Would you fire us up again uh, through your word to know the truth of the God who saves, to know it personally and deeply. Lord, that we might be people who... Go out and do live differently. Do live at peace with one another, with the world around us. And point to uh, the king who came as a baby. The mighty horn of salvation raised up in power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.